Hello, listeners. I am your host, Fiona L.F. Kelly, and this is Big Streaming Pile, a podcast about bad movies on streaming services. Welcome to season two. The episode hasn't quite started yet because I wanted to make a note of something first. This episode was actually intended to be the last episode of season one, but then a global pandemic happened. Through life and getting our other podcast, Fables Off the Table, set up, we decided to delay this episode and have it be our season two premiere instead of the finale of season one. We recorded this back in April, so if you hear us reference weird things that don't make any sense, that's why. For this season, we're going to be putting up episodes every other Friday. We'll have 10 regular episodes and two holiday specials that we'll put up on Christmas and Halloween. So we're starting with B-Movie, obviously, and we will also get to Dinosaur, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, uh, a Halloween special, a Mary-Kate Nashley special, Scoob, Stargirl, a Christmas special, Jurassic Park 2 and 3, some Seuss movies, and finally we will be ending with The Last Airbender. As always, you can find our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to listen to our other podcasts as well. Fables Around the Table is an actual play anthology podcast from Project Derailed. Each season, we play a different tabletop RPG with a different cast. Currently, we're playing Visigoths vs. Malgoths by Lucian Khan. Chelsea Rexinger, who you will hear on a later episode of this podcast, is our current GM slash Mallrat. Additionally, you can listen to Tales of the Voidfarer, a Spelljammer-inspired actual play podcast DM'd by Nick Irasiva. Nick will also be a guest on this podcast on a later episode. Be sure to check out projecturl.com for essays and articles about media and pop culture. You can also find more information about all of our podcasts there. Thanks for listening to me ramble for a few minutes. Now let's get talking about B-Movie. And welcome to Big Streaming Pile. I am your host, Fiona L.F. Kelly. And I am Tom Goldthwait. And today we are talking about B-Movie. Yay! Yay, B-Movie. This is the uh, season finale, our first season finale. And what a movie to end on. I know. I really want to attend on B-Movie because it's uh, it's pretty iconic as yeah. just a weird movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I I first saw I, well I saw this movie in theaters actually. Oh God, did you? Yeah, and I remembered actually being fairly young when I okay. saw it, but then when I looked it up, it came out in two thousand seven. So I'm like, I would have been a sophomore in high school. So <laughs> not I, that young, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I'm not that young. Um, but I, I, if you would have asked me without me knowing the year it came out, I would have told you I was like maybe like 10 or 11 and I was not, I was older. I don't know why I saw that movie then. I liked cartoons That's fair. At, at an older age, I remember all like, the way through my twenties, I guess. Yeah. And to today, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, st- I'm still in my twenties. Oh, that's fair. Okay, I'm, okay. I'm not as old as you. I'm yeah, not in my thirties okay, okay. yet. I'm still a young and yeah, you're still a baby. Yeah. No, I remember like, cause I was already like into jerry seinfeld like i liked the show seinfeld a lot mm-hmm. and i remember seeing the commercials for like a cartoon about bees by jerry seinfeld and i remember my reaction was just why though yeah you know <laughs> funny funny thing about that is um i 
I don't really like Seinfeld. Yeah. Um, I, I was on the train before everyone started not liking Seinfeld. I, I really didn't like it from a young age because it was similar to car talk in that I associate it so much with my dad, which is just like it was miserable as a child to, to like watch Seinfeld. And I don't know, maybe I would like it better now that I'm a little bit older. But um, certainly when I was like, you know, five years old, whatever, and it was like cartoon time. And my dad's like, no, we're watching Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Yeah. It was uh, it was pretty unpleasant. Yeah. And I remember having my dad go with me to the theater because I'm like, oh, it's Jerry Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. He likes Seinfeld. I like cartoons. This is going to be a good match. It was not. No. no. <laughs> I cannot imagine your dad enjoying B-Movie. No, I, I think he blocked B-Movie from his memory because <laughs> I he does talk about seeing one movie in theaters with me. So he's seen a bunch of movie in theaters mm -hmm. with me, but the only one he seems to recall is the first Pokemon movie. Mm, and, that's a good um, one. Yeah, it was a good one. Well, he was trying to sleep during that movie because I was legitimately a youngin uh, yeah. when the first Pokemon yeah, movie yeah. came out. And he was trying to sleep and the part comes where Ash is turned, where Ash is like coming back mm -hmm. and he ha he was like blissfully asleep and I apparently nudged him. I'm like, you have to wake up. This is the good part. And it is the good part is mm -hmm. the thing. Yeah. So he tells us like I was wrong, but I was in fact waking part. him up yeah. for the good part of the movie. Um. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I yeah I want to see B movie with my dad. I'm not sure if he could tell you anything about the movie B movie. Um, I'm not sure if he even remembers he went to see this yeah. movie with me when I was in high school. I guess I guess that's what I was doing on like a Friday night. But <laughs> yeah, so uh, B movie. Yeah. Now that we've talked about our our cultural, uh, well, not really our cultural, our own personal experiences yeah. with B movie. Also, fun fact, I'm sure that people who have been listening avidly, and there are like a few people know that um, around Thanksgiving, like posting started getting a little bit spotty and stuff like that. So we did actually watch B-Movie um, in December, I think, or maybe January. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, somewhere in there. Um, and like with the intention of posting it, you know, mm -hmm. on whatever the schedule would be. And um we have since gotten back on schedule, but unfortunately, we needed to watch B movie again. Yeah, of all the movies we so had long. to rewatch, it was the fucking B movie. I know. I was just like, this I, show is officially cursed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the world is very different from the first time we watched B movie yeah. for this show versus now. <laughs> that is true. I actually remember being in uh, being in a restaurant with you and talking about B movie and. Actually, coronavirus had just hit Seattle. We were talking yeah. about how we should prepare for um, a potential lockdown. Yeah. That was still yeah. like a maybe, and now we are in the thick of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how long it's been. That's, how, that's yeah. the frequency with which we're watching B-Movie in 2020. <laughs> um, so let's get started actually talking about yeah. it. Um, okay. Is this movie even possible to summarize? Well, we'll do our best. Okay. Um, so B-Movie was directed by Simon J. Smith and Steve Hickner. Uh, it was produced by Jerry Seinfeld. Um, it was also written by Jerry Seinfeld, Andy Robin, Barry Martyr, Spike Ferenstein, and it stars, of course, Jerry Seinfeld and Renee Zellweger, and a bunch of other people, like Matthew Broderick and Patrick Warburton, and, you know, as a surprisingly star-studded cast. Yeah. Um, this was, that was, well, I guess we had kind of gotten into, like, stub casting in children's cartoons. Yeah, yeah, we were well within that era at that point. Yeah. Um, 
So B movie starts out with uh, Barry B, and he <laughs> is uh, he he is a B who has just graduated college. Jerry Seinfeld at this point was is it's 50s i'm sure like yeah the 40s or 50s but he, he's playing this fresh out mm-hmm. of college b and um they, they have to go to their 9 15 graduation ceremony and he kind of like summarizes how long a b lives and like they did three days for all of grade school three days for college but he took a day to just travel around <laughs> the hive and now it's like graduation and he's there with his with his friend let me look up Adam, right? It, well, it is Adam. Good, good for yeah. you. Yeah, Matthew Broderick plays Adam Flamen. What? That's a weird last name. I don't know if that's ever mentioned in the movie. Like, I don't at think all. it is. I, I think, think he's, he's just Adam. Yeah, he is. He is named. Um, gosh, a lot of these people have full names, but yeah, Barry B. Benson, Vanessa Bloom, Adam Flamen, and Ken are our main characters. Um, so Barry gets through his graduation, which is approximately like 30 seconds long. And then he goes to, uh, select his job in the hive and Mm. somehow he has missed, but everyone else seems to be aware of it, that you pick a job like that day, that moment, and then that's your job until you die. Yeah. Um, which is kind of like this whole like worker bee thing, I guess. And, uh, he, he starts getting really weird about it. He's not sure what to pick, but then he sees the pollen jocks. And these are the bees who are like, kind of like the classic, like attractive pilot, um, mm-hmm. type. And they go out and they're the ones who pollinate and bring yeah. pollen back to the house. And they do explicitly mention that they're especially bred for that purpose. Yes. So he cannot just select so we this get, job. we get the eugenics angle in there. Oh, so There's, carefully. <laughs> There's a lot. Um, so, yeah. So, um, so that's going on. And, uh, but Barry, so Barry is like rejecting that he wants to pick a job and like do it for the rest of his life. But he's also like very enticed by these pollen jocks. Mm-hmm. And he and Adam are pretending to be pollen jocks. So some passing lady bees. And the pollen jocks are like, oh yeah, you guys are totally pollen jocks. Like come out with us on our next flight, you know, trying to embarrass them. And Barry does in fact show up to their next flight. And he flies with them and he's he's very enamored by the world outside the hive. And uh, they go to a tennis court and they think that the tennis balls are flowers and the felt on the ball is very grabby. So, um, so Barry gets stuck to the tennis ball and it's being, the tennis ball is being passed back and forth by um, Vanessa and Ken characters that we mm-hmm. meet more fully later and uh, they don't realize that a bee is there but Barry manages to get away but gets separated from the pollen jocks and it starts to rain so he goes over um and flies into a window into an apartment and it's Vanessa's apartment so I actually take an aside for why on a second watch this whole process was so strange sure (laughs) because they're at the tennis court where Vanessa and Ken are playing tennis Mm mm-hmm but then Barry is then separated as he gets flung out into the air, mm-hmm. ends up <clears throat> going around the streets of New York, going into like a random person's car and just all over the place. Yeah. And then within a matter of a couple minutes, it starts raining and he goes to like a place to hide out and it's Vanessa and Ken's apartment. Yeah where they are yeah well they're just walking in the door with their other friends okay but it's just yeah there was no 
In another movie, <laughs> the people playing tennis would not have been Vanessa. Yeah, yeah. there's absolutely you're no not, reason yeah, for them to be. You're Vanessa not introduced to them at all. He doesn't like see her, and his heart skips a beat. Whatever he like. There's absolutely no reason for this to be Vanessa and Ken, and it just sort like of like literally just like they had them in the studio that day. Like, hey, you want to do these lines? Yeah. That's... <laughs> oh, actually, I, I read something really interesting when I was uh, researching stuff for this. Um, they did their lines like together, so everyone who was okay. in that scene was recording in the, like in the same booth together. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was interesting because that's mm. really not the case for a lot of uh, animated yeah, films. Yeah. But Jerry Seinfeld really didn't want it to where you would, like, um, record, like, half the movie one day, come back two months later, you don't really remember what it was about, yeah. and then you're trying to record the rest of it. So he wanted it to be um, a really cohesive recording experience, but maybe he should focus on, like, a cohesive movie. <laughs> I don't <know>. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so he flies into the apartment and he sees a bowl of guacamole and he, he either falls into it or he gets himself into it somehow and, and uh, someone scoops him up to, with a chip and is about to eat him and Ken sees it and freaks out because Ken is allergic to bees and he's trying to kill Barry and Barry's very scared but then Vanessa stops him and she says, why is your life more valuable than his? And she takes... Um, she like does the whole like glass on a piece of paper trick and, and gets him outside and you know he's very enamored with her and thankful to her, <laughs> you know to her for this um, and I'm usually pretty sympathetic to like that line of thinking but if someone is like deathly allergic to bees and it's like there's a bee right there yeah you do have to kind of make some decisions <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was a surprisingly maximalist sort of animal rights position mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I was really surprised because it's not even just that he didn't like bees. He is deathly allergic yeah. to bees. And Vanessa's like, fuck you. Yeah, why is your life any more valuable than a bee's, you know? <laughs> if we got to pick one, I mean, really. Yeah. It's just, it's just Which it is fascinating because they could have made Ken immediately much less sympathetic by just having him be a dick to a bee for no reason. Yeah, yeah. But... They... And especially because that's like a very believable thing. Yeah. It's just a bee, you know? Yeah, like... yeah, yeah. No one would have been like, oh, that's unimaginably cruel. Like, no, that's, people will see a bee and just be like, fuck you, bee. Yeah, so that's that's the first weird thing about about how Ken is characterized yeah. in this. It um, just gets weirder. <laughs> it does. So, uh, so Barry, uh, after the rain stops, makes his way back to the hive, and he's just, you know, thinking about Vanessa, um, and he makes plans to go to go see her again, which is super unusual yeah. for a bee. Well, importantly here, there's a bee law that they aren't allowed to talk to humans. Yeah. Which apparently is literally the only reason, but, like, there's no other communication barrier other than they just don't. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it appears that all species can talk to each other. Because there's even yeah. a cow at the end talking to them, and they can talk to the mosquitoes yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. So all species can talk to each other. There is just within animals this law that you can't do it, and it's actually yeah. why you can't do it. You, you just, just can't. can't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he he uh, decides to break bee law and go back to Vanessa's apartment, um, and everyone's very scandalized by this that he's going to talk to a human. But uh, he goes back to Vanessa's apartment and finally gets up the courage to talk to her. And this is like the part where he does the you like jazz type of thing. But um, he talks to her and she's very surprised that B is talking. So I think you've got your order a little bit off because he has the conversation with Vanessa and everything before he ever goes back to the hive at all. Yeah. And then he talks about it to Adam and then other people find out too. 
Yeah, I think I'm just sort of making the movie make a little bit more yeah. sense. Um, it really so, crams a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he, so, okay, so she puts him out the window. There's a flash forward to later in the day um, when everyone has gone and she uh, she's by herself and he goes in and he's psyching himself up to talk to her. So they introduce themselves to each other. She's very shocked that a bee can talk and uh, they start a little friendship. And mm-hmm. uh, through this, he's kind of like daydreaming about her and stuff like that. And when he gets back to the hive, everyone's very scandalized that he's talking to a human and he's not um, particip- participating in the Hunnex, you know, yeah. industry that this hive runs on. Um, he's instead just sort of like lounging in their pool, like fantasizing about Vanessa. Um, and uh, so we'll skip ahead a little bit later. He's with Vanessa in a store, just sort of hanging out with her. And he sees um, honey, you know, lining the shelves of the store. And he's he's very upset by this because it takes so many bees to make so little honey. And, you know, mm-hmm. here humans are with like these big jars of it. Um weirdly long comment about Ray Liotta and you know he's he's trying to figure out uh where this mm-hmm. honey comes from so he manages to uh follow a honey truck through this like strange series of events along the way he meets Chris Rock who is a mosquito yeah and um making Chris Rock jokes but just as a mosquito and it's it's, it's <laughs> very weird um so he gets and he finds um he finds the hive, you know, these, like, industrial hives, he's, uh, you know, where they, you know, are farming all these bees, and he's seeing, they're, like, shown as being, like, these, like, really strange apartments that, like, move around, and the bees mm-hmm. are all, like, coughing and dying because of, you know, all the smoke and stuff like that. Um, there is a strangely transphobic remark about the the queen bee. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. love that in there. Yeah, uh, it's it's very bad and uncomfortable. But yeah, they move past it pretty quickly, and um, he is like, "This is bad. We have to stop this. Like the humans are stealing from us. Like we don't get compensated for this and stuff like that." So, um, he and Vanessa decide to sue the honey industry on behalf of bees. It becomes a court <laughs> case, and. Uh, and all of a sudden, we're like a legal thriller. Yeah, and John, John Goodman plays a lawyer. He's kind of doing the I'm just a simple country lawyer trope, <laughs> um, which John Goodman is, you know, very good at, but also it's a B movie, so it's a little bit weird. Um, Oprah Winfrey plays the judge. <laughs> and, oh, is that Oprah? Yeah, I that is Oprah. That. Yeah, that's Oprah. They get Sting in there for some reason. Yeah, Sting plays himself. Yeah. Um, and he gets grilled. For appropriating B language. <laughs> yeah, because that's not his real name. His real name is Insting. Um, and uh, so uh, through various series of events, um, they do in fact end up winning this case. Yeah. And this drags on for maybe like 40 minutes of the movie, but the, the point is that they win. Yeah. Um, and so the humans have to give all the honey back. So they're going and... Um, they put the honey back into the hives and the hives start to overflow and they're like, well, we have to just like stop producing honey and just sort of hang out. But the problem with that is if bees aren't pollinating, nature falls apart. <laughs> which is which is true, I guess. It's like a kernel of truth. Yeah, in my um in my bee movie research, I, I was mm-hmm. in fact actually seeing that 
um, when they were writing the movie, this script went through 212 revisions. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so they were, they were researching, like, what would actually happen if bees mm-hmm. stopped uh, pollinating. And the um, if bees stopped pollinating, nature would essentially fall apart in four years. Okay, that's what they found. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what occurs in the movie... So, in the movie, it happens in, like, a couple days. Yeah. Um, what would actually happen if, like, all the bees disappeared or, or something to that extent happens, um, the, the infrastructure of nature would fall apart in four years and plants would be, like, unable to grow and things like that. Now, I'm sure within those four years, we would find some sort of solution to yeah. keep, to keep things basically going, um... But yeah, that's that's what they found. Um, so nature starts to fall apart, but Barry is still like high off of his win. Yeah. Um, and then Vanessa's like, "You stupid asshole!" Like nature has fallen apart, as if she didn't participate yeah, I know. in this. Herself. Also, Vanessa is a florist. Yeah, Vanessa way, importantly is a florist. Yeah, and uh, so that gives her an additional connection to Barry. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was a florist, so she should have, like, had some sort of idea, I think, that yeah. something like this would have happened. Yeah, but she just firmly blames Barry. Yeah, she's like, she's like, how could you do this? And we're like, Vanessa, you yeah. filed the paperwork. <laughs> you were there every day in court. Yeah. Oh, also, I, we skipped over one of the stranger parts, but there is also a whole subplot about Vanessa and Ken falling apart oh yeah they are tries to kill barry oh yeah that did happen in the middle of all this yeah Yeah, that that is a good ken part that we kind of skipped over so um vanessa is getting closer to barry when she and ken are around she's really only talking about the case uh Mm -hmm. she's choosing barry over ben like uh or barry over ken rather um giving him like his place at the dinner table and stuff like that and ken is just like you know he's a bee right (laughs) and she's like no he's important um, so Ken decides enough is enough and he is going to kill Barry. So there's a big confrontation in the bathroom where like Barry's flying around and Ken is trying to like stomp on him and flush him and set him on fire with hairspray and, uh, all sorts of things. And, uh, Vanessa kind of comes into everything, tells Ken to fuck off basically. Yeah. <laughs> and then Ken is, uh... And what makes it extra weird is that we get a scene of like Barry sort of like, I don't know, like, just Bart Simpson his way around the toilet like he's surfing it or something. Yeah, he's surfing and, it on a nail file, I think. Yeah, and it just, like, gives off very, like, to me it felt very, like, Bart Simpson, like, evading skin, like, Principal Skinner or something. Sort yeah, of like, vibes, on the skateboard, yeah. Which is just a strange yeah way to go <laughs> it's it's a really weird thing and i think too it's like a strange way to characterize ken additionally because like it takes him from kind of like even if we pretend mm-hmm. he's not allergic in the first instance where he tries to kill barry he thinks he's just a bug he doesn't think he's yeah. you know sentient at all you know whatever um and uh or not sentient Oops. sapient yeah 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 um see he doesn't think that barry like understands his surroundings or anything like that. he just thinks he's a he, he's a bee um at this point he knows that barry has you know is basically has personhood yeah yeah <laughs> um you know he's a representative in a legal case ken would be potentially like tried for murder for this um <laughs> And uh, he still just is like, no, I'm, I'm gonna go to murder. Yeah. This is this is silliness. Um, also, like Barry could just kill him back. You know, Ken's very allergic to bees. Yeah. So, Although it'd be a little bit of a mutually assured destruction. Yeah, it was a 
It's weird stuff. Um, yeah. So Barry and Vanessa later in the movie hatch this plan that um, they're going to go to the Tournament of Roses, this big flower festival that Vanessa's always wanted to go to and always wanted to be a part of. And this is going to be the last one because it has like the last of the flowers yeah. in like the whole world or something. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, so Barry hatches this idea that they're going to go to the Tournament of Roses, which is in Arizona from, you know, New York City. It was in California. It was in Pasadena. Oh, yeah, I guess that isn't in Arizona, yeah. huh? That's in California. Yeah, I got it mixed up with Phoenix. Yeah. It's in California. Uh. Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so they, they go to California, um, steal a float, a Princess and the Pea float, and they drive it to the airport and check it onto the plane, just... Just in no the, big deal. Just in the luggage, you know, whatever. Which they at least, like, hang a lampshade on how stupid that is. Yeah. Like, the movie knows at that point that it's... It's a goof. <laughs> yeah, so um, Barry, who has his own seat on the plane, um, is, you know, flying with Vanessa, and they're about to hit turbulence. They're like, oh, no, we'll never make it. These flowers have this limited amount of time before they all die. And <laughs> so <laughs> they're like, oh, we, we have to do something. We have to tell the pilot to fly faster. I don't know what exactly their plan is, but Barry goes up to the front and is trying to talk to the pilot. Pilot freaks out that there's a bee. And um, he and the co-pilot both knock each other out. So then Barry calls Vanessa up to the front and is like, you have to fly the plane, which is which I think was like a bigger thing in movies in the 2000s that someone gets knocked out and and someone random has to fly the plane. Um, And uh, they're doing okay with it, actually. But then they get hit by lightning because of the storm that the pilots are trying to avoid. And the autopilot breaks, and they're like, oh, no, we were only doing okay because of the autopilot. And Barry's like, I don't know how to fly a plane, but I know how to fly like a bee. So (laughs) he calls uh, all of his friends, all of his bee friends, Mm. and they go on to the tarmac. So some of them, the pollen jocks fly up to the plane to support it as it's falling out of the sky. And the rest of the bees go on the tarmac and form a flower and they go thinking bee thinking bee yeah. <laughs> and they do a dance to make the flower change colors and then um he's telling Vanessa how to land the plane but it's like going back and forth like trying to like land like a bee yeah this is a long sequence and <laughs> it finally lands and they just sort of like pop the trunk of the plane and all the flowers fly, you know fall out of it and they're like, real quick, like pollinate. And then mm-hmm. everything's magically better. It's, yeah, everything's fine now. Everything is Happy fine. Happy Yep. And, um, oh, we forgot the part where, where they suggested, um, where they suggested just killing themselves because everything was going to shit. That's okay. We don't have to talk about that part. <laughs> okay. I, I don't even remember that part. Uh, yeah. Um, so, so then everything is pollinated again and yeah. everything's good. Um, and then at the very end, we see Vanessa's florist shop, which is now um, a florist bee-owned honey shop. <laughs> and um, Legal advice. And legal advice. <laughs> so Chris Rock is back and he's a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Just they subtly and brilliantly weave together the three threads of this film. <laughs> yeah. Um, because Chris Rock, his whole motivation was that he wanted to go out to Alaska for moose blood. Um, and now he's a lawyer and he makes a blood sucking parasite joke. Yeah. He says all he needed was a briefcase. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> kids love lawyer jokes. I know. <laughs> uh, and so then there's a cow who's there who, who's upset that everyone takes their milk and they don't they don't yeah. get it. So Barry's like trying to figure that out, and Vanessa's selling her honey and flowers and. Everything's happy, and uh, the end. That's the what movie. A film. Yeah. So add about an hour runtime to that. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's the movie. It's it's ninety minutes of of that, and all the various details we left out, like how um, Matthew Broderick tried to kill John Goodman. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. I was. I actually watched something about bees, honeybees. If you are not allergic to bees, um, if they sting you, they can like. It's the very sudden like pulling that releases mm-hmm. the stinger that kills them. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can like pull the stinger out if you give them like if you have like ten minutes to spare yeah. of, of a bee trying to pull its stinger out. You they can like get themselves yeah. out of it. So fun bee fact. Um, I also read it takes something like seventeen bees to make a uh, to make a tablespoon of honey. Um, so there's that. Uh, what other bee facts did I find out? Oh, um, I think it was the directors of this said that they were like, as they were writing, they were like so moved by the plight of the bee that um, now they do not eat honey or use anything with beeswax or you know. Which was interesting. That's sort of counter the point of the film yeah what is the point of the film (laughs) i so i let's start our discussion i'll try to parse that so um as i i think that this is supposed to be uh one of those films like you know and the style of the lorax about like um ethical consumerism and like how consumerism affects nature um but it has a lot of conflicting messages, I yeah. think. See, what I, here's what I feel about this movie. I feel that it has sentiments, but no messages. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Because I'm not... So, like, I think we can all agree that exploiting workers is bad. <laughs> so yeah. We can, we can start there. I think it has, like... It has a very, like individualist message i think too so like barry's in this very collective society and he feels very stifled Mm -hmm. by that and it's only when he breaks out of that that he can really help the society um by getting okay wait 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 so i think the only way to understand this movie is through hegelian dialectic (laughs) probably (laughs) this b movie okay i this was not going to be my take, but okay. now I feel it, it, yeah. it's... lay it on us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, people who are not familiar, there's this idea, I'm going to really simplify and bask with this, but the philosopher Hegel, German philosophy, 19th century, important guy, he had this idea of the dialectic, which was the idea that you have, like, a thesis, which is like a, like a point, an idea, then you have the antithesis, so it was like antithesis, but you say antithesis with it, and that opposes the thesis and the idea is that in this sort of like battle between thesis and antithesis what you eventually get is like synthesis which is Mm -hmm. like a sort of melding of the two ideas that goes further than either Mm -hmm. so maybe that's what b-movie is trying to do is sort of like thesis um like b's 
are working too hard and focus too much on work and need to appreciate the more important things in life. Mm-hmm. Antithesis, if the bees don't work and do their job, they're miserable and the world falls apart. Right. So we also see that the laziness is like making them sad and miserable. Right. Plus it's ruining the world. So it's right. like, but then like synthesis is bees should work hard, but they should control they should seize the means of production. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They should seize the means of production. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that it didn't totally think that. I don't one think it, I don't. I think I just had a smarter <laughs> thought than anyone involved in this movie. Yeah, had about I know. It. And that's what that's what I like about this podcast <laughs> is that we like kind of try to parse through these things mm-hmm. by using these uh, weird classical and philosophic <laughs> uh, methods, but. Yeah, um, I, I think it also, like, I don't know, maybe my head is, like, in the wrong place with this, but I but I can't help but think sometimes watching this movie, like, is Jerry Seinfeld trying to say, like, is this, like, an anti-reparations movie? Like, is that what B-movie is? Like, you know, the kind of, like, almost, like, if you pump too many resources back into the community, like, it'll stop everything? I don't think, like... That's where I go back to. I, I think this movie has sentiments, but doesn't really have messages. Yeah. Where, like, I think that, like, the movie has this sentiment of, like, we should be individuals and, you know, do our own thing and live our lives the way we want. Yeah. But then it also has this sentiment that, like, we shouldn't be freeloaders and we all need to work together for the good of society and it has like it has like other weirder sentiments in there that are hard to right. describe. But but it's like these are all none of them are like original ideas. Yeah. And the movie doesn't really like line things up in a direction to have something new to say about any of these things. But it does. The sentiment is there. It's just there's nothing around it. Like it's purely just like gut level like emotions, sort of like powering a plot that is really just, like, cause and effect. Right. Because it's not even really an animal rights movie either. No, because no it's not. Barry is, is too person-like after a certain yeah. point to really be, um, to, to mm-hmm. really be considered an animal. And this is not, like, this is not how animals um, have relationships with humans like you see in other animal stories because yeah. he and Vanessa are equals in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it has zero interest in, like, actually exploring what it would mean right. if bees are people. Because, yeah, because then the argument would be, like, it's fine to take bee honey, we just can't do it in this, like, big factory farming context, yeah. which I which I tend to agree with, um, you know, being someone who is pretty against factory farming, yeah. and, you know, um, so I think that, like, even if you look at it from, like, what are the ethics of beekeeping, um, it does, like, sort of align with that. Like, you know, this kind of, like, small-scale stuff is fine, but when you get into uh, these, you know, larger hives of honey and, you know, like, beekeeping on a massive scale, like, what does that look like? And that, you know, gets into some weird stuff uh, that yeah. I think that people are, you know... Bees are certainly not the worst factory-farmed animal, yeah. um, I think... <laughs> And I think that people are trying to, you know, always um, find a way to 
uh, keep bees like doing their job. Yeah. Um, and yeah. like to prevent things like hive collapse because that mm-hmm. does have larger implications for the environment. Mm-hmm. And also, you can't just put bees in little cages and pack them in as tightly as possible because yeah. like that's not that's just not how bees work. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think that trying to read anything animal rights into this movie is a bad reading. Yeah. Because <laughs> it has absolutely, like, it purely just asserts bees are just people that we just don't realize it. Which just has <laughs> yeah. nothing to do with reality. Yeah. And has no interest in digging into, like, I mean, at the very end, we get, like, a talking cow now. But the movie has absolutely nothing to say about that other than, like, a gag about milk. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to, uh... They're going to help the cows next, and, yeah. and like a, you know, cows are you know probably are <laughs> much more horrifically factory farms, yeah. and that's why we didn't get that in a children's movie, uh, because there are uh, many many horrible yeah. things that happen to cows. But yeah. but what makes this extra interesting though is that there's lots of other movies that are about animals who are actually people, mm-hmm. and them trying to like win their rights that are also not about animal rights. Right. But they manage to be about, like, other stuff. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. and works just fine. But this movie doesn't really... Like, this movie has, like, the feeling and scope of, like, a very sort of, like, sociological story about systems and what they do to people. Right. But has no actual... Has nothing to say about it. <laughs> well, I think that one of the big problems with that is that we don't really have a a human figure that is like the system that they're fighting against. So, yeah. like, even when we think about the movie, like Chicken Run, you know, the chickens mm-hmm. are all like aware and stuff like that in Chicken Run, and they're mm-hmm. trying to escape the farmer. Um, but we have the bad guy, you know, yeah. we have the farmer. Um, in this one, we're so many degrees separated. So mm-hmm. we have Ken, who's his own villain. And, yeah. you know, because he, he's not really involved with the But yeah, he's not involved with the honey at all. He just doesn't like Barry. <laughs> yeah, he just doesn't like Barry. It's purely personal. Um, and then we get, another, so we're fighting them in court. We get mm-hmm. another degree of separation with the only character that Barry meaningfully interacts with is the lawyer. Yeah. And he only interacts with them through witnesses in the yeah. context of the court. Yeah. So we're too many degrees of separation yeah. away from the human figure of, of yeah. like, the honey Which, industry. like, a movie that wanted to really talk about, like, the way that, like, systems can be oppressive and don't need, like, a villain. I mean, that would be interesting. But it's just this movie, like, doesn't have the meat on its bones for a very, like, personality-driven story. Right. But it also doesn't really have any insight into, like, systems. Yeah. And, like, sociology. Like, it, it just is left with very little. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think that's what this movie tries to do, though, is it tries to yeah. say something about maybe animals. It tries to say something maybe about, like, uh, mindful consumption. And it just, like, it doesn't say anything about anything. Yeah. Like, I think that the, the closest thing to a message this movie has is something like... Thinking B. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe, but, uh, like, really the message is Barry B. Benson's a cool guy. Yeah. And we should all yeah. like him. Yeah. That's we... kind of what this movie has, which sort of comes down to Jerry Seinfeld's a cool guy and we should all like him. Questionable, but yes, I agree. <laughs> that's, that's what that's the like movie's what trying to go for. Yeah. yeah. And that, like, that can work in a movie. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but you need almost, like, a goofy adventure. Like, you need, like, the yeah. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You need Barry B. Benson's Day Off. Yeah, yeah. Um, because as soon as they start fighting oppressive systems where there's a high stakes, like, the collapse of nature mm-hmm. and, like, the oppression of workers, like, it's not like Barry B. Benson's escaping the principle, you know? Those exactly. are, like, those are fun stakes. Yeah. Uh, I, that's why I brought that up earlier, and I kind of want to go back to it, of, like, the like Barry B. Benson's maybe the better comparison is even like a Bugs Bunny moment where it's like they like Barry B. Benson is this very kind of like every man wisecracking like like Barry B. Benson is this like very every man like has like a sort of sarcastic comment about stuff but like he's not really portrayed as like courageous or anything yeah but then in that one scene all of a sudden he's like Bugs Bunny or something. Yeah. It just like the sort of like charismatic, you know, nothing can happen to him. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a weird tonal shift. Yeah. Because with Barry, like, you know everything he's not, but you don't really know what he is after yeah. a certain point. Like, you know that he doesn't really want to be involved with this with this system. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't even really want to be a Paul and Jock. He just sort of wants to get out of the hive and see what's yeah. out there. Um, he has no real direction until he gets to this, like, big court case. And yeah. even then, um, you know, there's so many other characters involved with mm-hmm. that that... He's not even really the one leading it. It's Vanessa who's leading it because she's like the human. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and he's questioning people, and but so is like Adam, you know, Matthew, mm-hmm. Matthew Broderick's character. And Matthew Broderick even has the big hero moment where he stings um, the lawyer, and yeah. not Barry. Yeah, you know, he Barry's the one who's like just sitting on the stand, just talking, and um, Adam's the one who goes and and risks his life to uh, to defend the name of bees. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, even with the plane, Barry's not flying the plane. It's Vanessa. Yeah. He doesn't really do much other than just, like, be this figure, how be this figure that people yeah. rally around. Yeah. People just, he's just sort of charismatic and, uh... Yeah. Except he's not that charismatic. He's just yeah. Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. If you think Jerry Seinfeld's really charismatic, you'll think Barry yeah. Benson's charismatic. Yeah. Because he's basically just playing Jerry Seinfeld. Which yeah. I like Jerry Seinfeld, but he's not like this ultra charismatic character. He's like this kind of, you know, it's fun to see the world through his eyes type of character. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of like a Seinfeld thing where like, he's just sort of there trying to do his thing of like be a stand-up comedian and like the weird mm-hmm. things happen around yeah. him. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's like, you know, observational comedy. So he's yeah. like the guy for it and he's good at it. And this movie does have is a lot of he, that. Ah, I think he's funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, and this movie has like funny observations here and there. But it's just like, it's it's just a weird vibe for an animated movie. It is it's a weird vibe for a cartoon to have. <laughs> yeah, and I think that some people do like some stand-up comics just like have these really fantastic creative visions and can do these projects that are you know really really moving like Bo Burnham did eighth grade that was a fantastic movie and that's um I think that there was like clearly some of his influence in it like the Mm -hmm. comedy was like was very much Bo Burnham comedy and you know the relationship with family and stuff like that but it was really not just Bo Burnham and I think yeah, that that was yeah. you know to the credit of, of the film yeah um although I would I would watch a Bo Burnham movie that sounds pretty good 
Yeah, I would too. I like Oberon. Yeah, I do too. Um, I kind of want to talk about like the nature of bad movies. Okay. And like what makes a movie bad. All right. <laughs> so this is the my my hot take I had before I had the Hegel hot take. Okay. <laughs> Your pre Hegel hot yeah, take. Yeah. The thesis to my Hegel antithesis. <laughs> yeah. Um. So when we talk about bad movies, well, uh, okay. Let me let me rewind here. My thinking on this. So. In the world of software engineering, <laughs> okay, there's this start, idea. Yeah, there's this idea that gets that I've seen tossed around that I think is really interesting of the idea of like a project that is worse than failure. So the idea is um normally we think of like the worst that can happen is like this fails. And so like in software we think of it as like, well, like the project's never completed and it never it just wastes everyone's time and money and nothing happens. But that's actually not always the worst case scenario because what happens sometimes is that a project will get so far along and the sunk cost fallacy will dig in so deep that a total abomination of a software system gets rolled out into actual real-world use even though it's in every way worse than what it's trying to replace. <laughs> right. And, like, the result of that is worse than failure. That's worse than if everyone involved had just given up. That, like, by showing this determination and plodding along with this horrible mess, they actually have made the world a worse place for all the energy <laughs> they put into this. And that is B-movie? And that's B-movie. Yeah. That, like, there's some bad movies that are just forgotten. Yeah. Well, so, so like, we'll we'll go through like the whole spectrum here. Some bad movies never get released or never get finished. Right. So they just have zero impact on the world, other than like their own like production schedule right. and everything. Then there's bad movies that are released, but like no one sees. They don't matter at all. They're quickly forgotten. Right. Then there's bad movies that maybe aren't even bad. Because people enjoy them. So it's like The Room, where it's like, yes, like by our normal criteria by which we evaluate films, The Room is bad. Mm -hmm. But people enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people saw it. People got a lot of laughs out of it. A lot of people loved that movie. Cool. The Room had like a sort of net positive effect. Right. But B-movie is objectively unpleasant to watch. Yeah. I found myself when i was watching like i would laugh but it was like more of like a involuntary reflex mm -hmm. at the structure of a joke mm -hmm. rather than anything approaching like genuine mirth or joy yeah <laughs> and and yet this movie something about it has made it so that many people have experienced this joyless thing yeah and you know I I mean, they advertised the hell out of this movie yeah. for one. I remember seeing so many advertisements on it. I think it was the Kids' Choice Awards okay. where um, Jerry Seinfeld ziplined into the awards wearing a bee costume. Or maybe it was like the People's Choice Awards. He did this mm -hmm. somewhere. Yeah. And um, they, I mean, they really were pushing people to yeah. see this movie. Um, and I think that it was forgotten a little bit until the meme came out in, yeah. like, 2016 where people yeah. started posting the entire script. And I was trying to find, like, a source for that. And um, 
I, I think that the original source was people somewhat seriously on Tumblr started posting the opening lines like, you know, the the shape of a bee means that it can't fly, but bees yeah. don't care what you think. And, you know, like kind of <laughs> as this like inspirational thing and yeah. then it just turned into posting like the entire movie. script yeah. of the movie. Yeah. Um, and I think that part of what makes it just like a bad movie with like not even really any redeeming qualities is that there's not really anything that you can um, grab onto as either something familiar or something that you identify with. Okay. So like if you think of bad movies that people are really attached to, you think of like Rocky Horror Picture Show, you think of like The Room, um, God, what are other bad movies that people really like? Other bad movies that people like? Yeah. Um, what you said, Rocky and... The Room. The Room. Okay, so those yeah. are like the there's, big there's two. There's lots, yeah. The, those are the big two. So within those movies, so Rocky Horror Picture Show, the the clear thing is like, you know, the themes of um, queerness and mm-hmm. like not really fitting into this very like tight-knit world and then like loosening up and see, seeing the places that that can take you. And in the room, um, we don't really have any characters that I think that people would really identify with, but we have themes people really identify with and we have absurdity, which people really yeah. like. Um, so we have these like themes of like ultra patriotism and all sorts of stuff mixed mm-hmm. with um, something very absurd that makes it unintentionally funny, but then enjoyable as yeah, a result. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just like, like to me, B-movie is sort of viral in like a more literal sense than usual, where it's like it latches on to a person and like damages them <laughs> and then makes them want to spread it to other people. You like jazz. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's like viral in like a more literal sense than usual. Like it's actually like it's hurting the people exposed to it. <laughs> and yet they keep exposing other people to it. And it's like something about like the mind virus here. Like flips a switch that makes people be like, oh yes, I need to inflict this film upon other people as well. And what's weird too is that like it's not even cute to look no. at. Like Barry is not cute. Um, He's not even handsome. Like, if Barry were an Animal Crossing villager, we would all hit him with our nets. Yeah. Because he'd be really ugly. Uh, he's, like, he has these, like, big bug eyes, but very human features, and it does not work. Just, it does not mesh. It, it looks very strange, and I don't know. It's it's just, like, it just um, misses all those things that you would want yeah. in a film like that. So even, like, kids watching it, they don't yeah. even get to see, like, a cute character yeah. that they can get, like, dolls of. And that's know? the other thing, too, is that, like, the movie has no clear target audience. Yeah. Where it's, like, it's too it's unstructured too... and meandering for adults. Yeah, but yet it has those, like, Seinfeld and Chris Rock-style jokes yeah. that really only adults would get. Yeah. Like, like it's not like other animated films that are, like, mostly jokes kids get with, like, some adult humor slipped in sideways. Right. It's, like, it's all... It's, it's like, all the humor you get from, like, an episode of Seinfeld. Right. But with less structure, more pointless subplots. Yeah. (laughs) And just, like, nothing for kids. It's, like, there's nothing good for kids, nothing good for adults. It's just, like, it has no audience. for? The audience is, like internet meme lords who have lost the ability to feel things (laughs) yeah and in that sense it was truly ahead of its time yeah um (laughs) 
Yeah, that's just a weird movie that doesn't do anything right, but it also doesn't do anything egregiously wrong enough to, like, make it fun. It just, yeah. it just, like, it, it's like it's comprehensible, yeah. but it doesn't have a message. Yeah, it's like each scene in this movie could work as a sort of, like, middle-of-the-road scene in a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just strung together... They don't work. <laughs> also, it has uh, it has a song that just tickles me every time I, I hear it. It has Sugar Sugar by mm-hmm. the Archies, and it tickles me because that song is like, it's what people think of when they think of like 60s, 70s songs, mm-hmm. and it's by a cartoon band in the Archie show. Ah, <laughs> oh, huh. Yeah, that's who the Archies are. It's like Archie, like, you know, okay. Riverdale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Archie. Yeah, no, no, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's, that's that's a tangent apropos of nothing. I just It just tickles me whenever that song that's is fair. in something. Because it's by cartoons. Especially when you're supposed to take it seriously. Because I'm yeah. like, a cartoon made this. <laughs> a cartoon made a song in a cartoon. Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's what happened. Um... The Archie, you know, cartoon was was more comprehensible than the movie, I think. Most things are. Yeah. Um, Man, what a... What a movie. Are you you happy I made you watch that movie two times? No. No? No. (laughs) We gonna break up over it? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) All right. Do you have anything else to say about the movie? No. I'm not gonna break up with you, though. Oh, yeah. that's, that's nice. Yeah, we gotta take care of Mia. Yeah, that's true. We gotta take care of our cat. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, we don't have a kid. We have a cat. Uh, yeah, Mia's not a child. Mia's our cat who yeah. is uh, under. Well, she's not really underneath it. She's next to our microphone right yeah. now. She's uh, quietly grooming herself. Yep, not meowing like she does in other episodes. Yeah. So um, so yeah, so we have so this is our last episode. Um, as we said, we are in. Uh, as they say on My Brother, My Brother and Me, we are in the bad times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, hopefully everyone is staying safe out there in lieu of our usual uh, plug for various discount codes. Um, you can just go to a local restaurant, spend your stimulus mm-hmm. check that I hope everyone got there. I, I just, I'm sorry, I just had this weird like vision of like everyone with the stimulus check, but it's like B-movie when they all got the honey back. <laughs> And I think that that's how some people imagined yeah. the stimulus bill is just like everyone would be like, well, we have money. Why work? Yeah. <laughs> just, just society shuts down. Um, no, we shut down society for the deadly virus. Yeah. Not the stimulus check. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I hope that that is like the vibe everyone has, though, is that they're all very comfortable hanging out by a pool. I hope that that's everyone's vibe, um, even though it's probably not. But I hope it is for for, for the you know, portion of you listening to this podcast, I hope that all you think about is B-Movie and not the bad times. Yeah. <laughs> or is B-Movie the bad times? Are we making the world a worse place with this? Are we Are we doing what you're... No. I think that we're reasonably enjoyable. We slipped a Hegel take in. We did. I'll see how anyone could feel like they didn't get the yeah. money's worth out of this episode. Yeah. So if you liked season one of our show, um, we will we will be back with more movies and i will probably on twitter or something announce what those movies are or maybe we'll say what they are at the end of our star wars special 
It depends on if we decide or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can listen to all of our other wonderful podcasts, uh, our Project Derailed podcast. We have... Um, uh, what do we have? Oh, we have Tales of the Void Fair. That's the big one. Yeah. That's the big one. That's that's the one we're picking backing on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tom is a producer on that. I play Ravnus. It's a good show mm-hmm. set in the world of Spelljammer. Um, and uh, now we have Fables Around the Table, which was just announced, which is another actual play show. Um, and that one is uh, we're playing. Uh, the Curse of the House of Rookwood, but it's an RPG anthology show, so every season we're going to be doing a different mm-hmm. game. And I am the DM on that, and Tom is also producing. It's going to be exciting. It is going to yeah. be exciting, and... and we get, we've played a couple sessions already. They're not going to get to you for a while after we release this, because we're going to record a whole bunch of them and release them pretty quickly. But uh, so far it's been really good. I'm excited about it. Yes. Yeah, it's it's gonna be good. Uh, actually, so if this goes up tonight, um, you will, and you're listening tonight, you will find out tomorrow when we are releasing. Ah. Uh, when we're going to end up releasing, uh, Fables Around the Table Curse, the very first season mm-hmm. of Fables Around the Table. And if you're listening to this after Friday, May first, yeah, it's the first after Friday, mm-hmm. May first. Uh, you can just go on Twitter or our website or something and find out when that yeah, is. But it'll, be, it'll be somewhere after. Yeah, and I think that everyone who regularly listens, which is a few people, I think that most okay. of them know us personally. So yeah, well. just text us and find out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll just tell you. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. <laughs> uh, okay. Is there anything else, Thomas? No, I'm good. All right. This is a good season. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm excited to be back with season two and another special. Now we have a whole season and two specials in our backlog. Wow. So, yeah. So thank you for listening. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Introducing Tales of the Voidfarer. Join the spacefaring adventures of a group of misfits in this D&D 5th edition podcast inspired by the 2nd edition setting, Spelljammer. My name's Marco Astorio. My character is a Gith Yankee. My character is a Doar. Adorable little penguin people. You're Ravnus, right? Yes. And you are? It's a pleasure to meet you. My name's Luckby Cumble. My name is Captain Valeria Rain, and welcome aboard the Voidfarer. Luckbeak, Ravnus, come on! <laughs> There's so much to see over here! Catch new episodes of Tales of the Voidfarer every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast fix. <laughs> that's funny. Wait, did you just hmm? say that's funny and not laugh, Ravnus? We really have to work on your social skills. <laughs> it's 1997. There's been a turf war between the Visigoth of the 5th century and the Malgoths of today raging for a full year. Now, with the mysterious chain letter creating new conflict, the Goths will fight for dominance over the Hawthorne shops. But what happens when feelings get in the way? We're just gonna go mess with the Visigoths. Beric's just gonna make, like, kissy sounds. There's just, like, a coy little wink back. To woo a dark heart. Would this woo your dark heart? She's so pretty and she makes my heart beat so fast and I don't know why. Visigoths? Malgoths? I guess the most important thing is that I'm free. Join Project Derailed as they play any nominated Visigoths vs. Malgoths. Fables Around the Table, Season 2, Tainted Love. Sometimes, love bites. ProjectDerailed.com